Good evening. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. Um, it is so good to see all of your masked faces in this place tonight. If you're new with us, it's so amazing that you chose to be here tonight. Um, and if this is your like billionth Chi Alpha like me, it's good to see you too. Um, hey, uh, my name is not Derek Quimby. Uh, I'm not him. I am John Griffin. As you can see, I'm the, one of the associate pastors here at Chi Alpha. Um, and I don't know if you have noticed this in past weeks, but there's usually a really weird guy that sits in the back and he's like, yeah, that's good, when Derek says like, something really convicting or like, someone goes like, wow. And that's like the only person that says anything. That's me. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, and the reason I do that is because when the preacher says something that's really good and it gets me right in the feels, it convicts my heart, it resonates with me, I want to let him know, right? I want, to, I want to let the person who's speaking know that what they're hearing from God is good. Thank you. So hey, if you wanna if you wanna do what's called shouting me down, that's what that is. If you wanna do that tonight, go crazy, get wild, yeah, come on. And hey, I don't know if any of your parents have ever been in church before, but like some of the older generations, instead of shouting, they'll give them a good wave, or like they'll just put their hand up, give me a little wrist action up in here. Like if you hear something that's really good, you let me know, okay? And hey. Don't let that just be a thing with me. Do it when Pastor Derek is preaching. Do it when we got some of our other associate staff members. Like, let's get some energy up in here. You know what I'm saying? Thank you. Thank you so much. Anyway, uh, I thought it might be really fun to start off tonight by telling you guys my story. Um, so here we go. I was raised in a Lutheran house. Um, my mom and I would go to church every Saturday night at this tiny little Lutheran church on the top of a hill. It was actually a mobile home right next to a BP. Um, and I would pretty much get drugged to church every single week. I was like, I don't want to be here. It's like, I don't have anybody to connect with. There's only one other person my age. And so I kind of got raised in that church. I went up through all of, like, middle school and high school. And... Uh, I would always complain being there, and I didn't connect very well. And meanwhile, my sister was friends with this really goofy guy, and he was really fun-loving, and they went to a few school dances together. You want to show a picture? This is Pastor Daniel Quimby with my sister at a home football game. Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, way to go. Uh, he's actually the lead pastor at St. Church now, so if you want to check us out on Sundays... We're, we're over at the Hilton Event Center. Come on. Hey, if you enjoyed worship tonight, it's usually about just about the same team on Sunday mornings as it is on Tuesday nights, with a few exceptions. But anyway, later on, I became friends with Daniel's little brother, Derek. And so we would... Yep, thank you. Thank you. Uh, this is us in jazz band, actually, in... This is kind of like where our friendship kind of started to blossom a little bit because we got to like fit in the pocket with each other when we're just jamming. Uh, but we would do things pretty much most weekends like playing Dungeons and Dragons. 
We would play like Risk, the board game, a few times. To be honest with you, we were pretty nerdy, if you haven't put that much together yet. Amen. Um, and so in my senior year of high school, I decided that I wanted to get into the party scene. And I had known Derek for a really long time. Um, and I had never really like drank. I hadn't really done any drugs or had any like serious relationships. Um, but I wanted all of that to change. And so there was one time in German class that Derek and I actually sat like right next to each other. There was one time I was just kind of sharing my heart about like what I wanted to do, what I was doing. And Derek just like looked at me and he, his face just kind of dropped a little bit. And he just said, I love you. I was like, that's really weird. Because <laughs> I hadn't really understood what he, was, what he was getting at because, like, I was raised in the church, but I didn't really know Jesus. And so we fast forward to the end of our senior year. I hadn't really gotten into the party scene because I was so nerdy, but I went to Derek's graduation party, and Daniel had just graduated from North Central University, and he came up to me and he said, hey, John, um, I heard you're going to UNI next year, and I'm kind of re-pioneering a ministry. It's called Chi Alpha. Will you go? And I was like, yes. I would love to be there. <laughs> and so I kind of said in my head, like, no, I've been around the church pretty much my whole life, and I'm not really interested in that. And so uh, come time that I moved in my freshman year, uh, Daniel came knocking on my dorm room door with another guy that was in Chi Alpha with him. And he sat down on this giant beanbag that my roommate brought. And he's like, hey, I'm not leaving until you come to Chi Alpha. <laughs> and let me tell you, I was pretty resistant right away. I'm pretty sure he sat there for like two hours until I told him I would go. And then I'm like, fine, get out. <laughs> I don't want to deal with this anymore. This crazy guy just sitting in my dorm room. Um, and so I remember going to Kyle for that first night. We used to meet in the Communication Arts Center um, in room 108. And on the right side of that room, the second stair up, I remember sitting there after that first Chi Alpha service. I was just kind of pondering like how it went. And so Daniel came up to me and he's like, how do you think the service went? And I took a few seconds and I'm like, I think this is what I want my life to be now. Because that was the first time that I felt like I really encountered the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit tangibly in a room. And so for the rest of that semester, I kind of skipped a few of the Chi Alpha services. I know, thank you. Um, and it's really because I didn't really want to be around people, but I would always use the excuse of like, oh, it's raining. I'm not going to go. Some of you have used that excuse recently. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, I would use other excuses like, oh, I have homework, or like, I got a headache, so I'm not going to be there. Um, and pretty close to the beginning of the second semester, Daniel sat me down right outside of that room, and he said, John, I can see great potential in your life to lead people to Jesus but you have to really care about people and be around the community first. That was the first time that anybody had called out some real potential they saw in my life. And that, was, that utterly shook me to my soul because somebody actually believed in me. I didn't even really believe in me. 
And so I started making service a really big priority in my life. And I met with people voluntarily, and I never really missed a small group after that. I got so plugged into the community because the community really cared about me. And I started to believe in myself because somebody told me that they believed in me. And so for some of us in this room, nobody has really ever told us that they believe in us. And some of us have heard those empty words fall on our ears because the person who said that to us didn't prove that they actually believed in us. And some of us are waiting for that person to come and call out that potential on our lives because we know we can do great things, but we're not sure we really believe it yet. I'm not really advocating that you find your identity in what people think of you or how they talk to you, but what I am saying is that the kingdom of God will grow faster if we're all in this thing together. So some of us really need to reflect on ourselves and ask, do we really love people? Can we be that person that sees the potential in other people and calls it out in them? So, and there are others of us that might also talk poorly about other behind, others behind their back, and it's because they frustrate us. So that being said, how do we really let people into our lives, and how do we love them better? The real answer here is community. I'm glad that we're talking about it. We have to be willing to let our brothers and sisters in so that we can go higher faster. Community helps, or community happens in small groups, but not just there. It's really where real life gets talked about and lifelong friendships get formed. Community is where devotion meets discipleship. And we start not only to look like the body of Christ, but we look like Jesus himself. And so this week, we're in our second week of the sermon series, More Together. Last week, Pastor Derek taught us that you need community and the community needs you. And tonight, we're going to continue the sermon series with real community. And so the main idea tonight of real community is in order to be in real community, we have to fully know each other and fully love each other. We have to be available to community not only to get the help that we need, but also to be there in the times of people's lives when they need us most. We do this by fully knowing and fully loving each other. And I think the passage of James 5.16 illustrates this very succinctly. And so... If you would start to turn there, I'm going to talk a little bit about the book. James is very close to the end of the Bible. It's a short book. It's only about five chapters long, and it sits between the books of Hebrews and First and Second Peter. Um, James is personally my favorite book of the Bible um, because it has really good truths, and it's like really straightforward. You know, like how some people are the tough love kind of people? That's me. I really like when people just, just give it to me straight. I don't care, don't pamper my feelings, I just want to know. The author of the book is James, the brother of Jesus, and he was also the leader of the church in Jerusalem until he was executed in the year 62. And so I think that James is a broccoli book. What does that even mean? Well, there are some parts of scripture that are like really good and they're really easy to eat and they're like sweet and you feel really good after you read it because it's really encouraging. Those are like fruit. Like you need fruit in your diet to get a balanced, healthy diet, but you also need your veggies, right? And I don't know about a lot of you, I actually really like broccoli, but 
when you're, when you're younger, you're like, ah, I don't know if broccoli is the thing, yo. I don't think any of you talked like that. But, but personally, broccoli to most people seems like kind of a disgusting thing. But you know that if you get enough good greens in your diet, you're going to grow up to be healthy and strong. That's what a broccoli book is. If you get enough of it, if you get those good truths, you'll be better off at the end. And so let's read through James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The, power, or the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So pray with me. Jesus, uh, Lord, we just pray that you would speak through me tonight, God. Jesus, we pray that this wouldn't be glorifying to me or to the worship team or anybody else that ever has a mic in their hand here at Chi Alpha. We pray that your name is glorified, Lord. And pray that you would help us to learn how to live in real community tonight. Lord Jesus, we just pray that the community here is one that is falls so deeply in love with you, Lord. All this we pray in your name. Amen. So we'll get, first, we'll get to the first point right away. It might surprise you. In order to be in real community, we have to fully know each other. I don't think that the book of James tells the church to confess, or I, I don't think that when the book of James tells the church to confess that he only means that when we sin, we should confess. I think there's a little bit more to it than that, that we need to let people into the fullest, deepest parts of our heart so that they can truly understand who we are. When we let people into the deepest parts of ourselves, it benefits us because when we're in our times of need, we get a greater support system around us to hold us up. Or on the converse side of that, when we have this big celebration, when you get an A on a paper or a test, you get to go to your support system and be like, ah, yeah, I got an A. And then they get to be like, congratulations, you want a cookie? And then you get like 10 cookies as opposed to one. Wouldn't that be nice? Amen. So <laughs> we have to understand that it's not really normal to advertise our shortcomings, um, but it can really improve our lives. Because everybody struggles, that means that we can use each other as this support system that gets to walk through struggles in life together. In fact, we shouldn't really even have to wait for a small group leader to bring something us, up to us to let them know that we're struggling. If you want real freedom from the issues and addictions in your life, you should be the one to bring it up to other people. We have to be willing to risk an uncomfortable encounter with somebody in order to see these chains be broken off of our lives. There's a big difference between transparency and vulnerability. So transparency is when you're waiting for a trusted person to ask you a question before you really let them know what's going on in your life. But on the other side of things, Vulnerability is when we go to that trusted person first and we say, hey, I'm really struggling and I need help. With vulnerability, we really take the initiative and lay, lay it all out on the table. So let's say that I'm struggling with personal purity. If I'm transparent, I don't tell anyone until they really ask me how my purity is going. You know, that could take years. I hope it doesn't, but there's a possibility it would. And we have to be honest when people ask us questions, but if I'm really being fully submissive to Jesus and everything that I do, I'll go to my small group leader and say, hey, I'm really struggling with purity. Is there any way that you could pray for me? Could you help me? And if we do that, we'll really get through this struggle much faster 
because we don't have to wait for that person to guess what's going on in our lives. And it's not really worth having a perfect image with somebody when the state of your soul is in turmoil. There's a really practical side of confession, too. It ties you really close to the community. And when you prove that you trust somebody around you enough to let them know that you're struggling, you grant them permission to come alongside you and invite Jesus into your struggles with you. And I really think that the Lord honors something like that by drawing close to your heart because you want to get out of this struggle. So when you confess, that's really the first step to overcoming the issue in your life. And then people can intercede on your behalf to God. And if you're really willing to let him into your heart, Jesus isn't that far behind. And so how are we supposed to know when we should be confessing? Well, glad you asked. That's a good old joke. When Col- <laughs> in Colossians 3, 1 through 5, Paul says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is, life, who is your life, appears then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So what I really think Paul is trying to communicate to us is the times that we should be confessing is literally any time that anything takes place in your heart over Jesus. So let us say that you struggle with the temptation to look at naughty pictures on the internet. And for some of us, that's a real part of our struggle right now. That's actually in our story. And if you really know it's wrong, but you keep falling into the cycle of temptation and sin and temptation and sin, if you haven't told anyone, how are you expecting anything to change in your life? Until your small group leader asks you anything, you're kind of waiting for somebody else to assume the responsibility for your actions. And in the end, that really carries less power. If we go to them first and let them know that we're struggling, we've taken the responsibility on ourselves for our own actions and freedom, and the, for our own actions and freedom will come much faster. And the same thing goes for alcoholism or drug abuse and addiction, but at the same time, it's, it's the same thing with pride and envy. It's not just these like big, like giant sins that seemingly only some people struggle with. And I'm I'm fine. My testimony is boring because I don't have these big sins. It's like no, you struggle with pride. Probably there might be some envy in your heart, but you have to remember that addiction doesn't just come in forms of like the norms that we talk about. Addiction is everywhere. And this list isn't exhaustive, but you can kind of get the idea. And having the community of people who love Jesus and really know the roots of your life will help you draw closer to him. It's important to remember that results aren't always going to be instantaneous. Just remember that not everything is a microwave. It's not going to happen in four minutes or less. And most of the time we expect expect things to change the very second that we go to somebody with our issues. And we oftentimes want to be Leonardo DiCaprio on the front of the Titanic, like screaming, I'm king of the world, because I told one person about my sin issue. 
But to be honest with you guys, old habits do die hard. You can't expect them to be gone in that moment. So this actually reminds me of my freshman year here at UNI. Um, I had a lot of problems. I still do, but I had a lot of problems back then. And they were all tools that the enemy would use to keep me from being in my community, being Chi Alpha. And the biggest of those things was a video game addiction. A what? It's a video game addiction. It's real, okay? And some of you actually know exactly what this is because you struggle with it too. <laughs> you, you might actually be de denying the fact that you're addicted to video games because you're so comfortable in the life that you have right now. And so you might actually be able to say that there's nothing inherently addicting about video games. And yes, that's true. Although, when you look at the brain science of things, there's a chemical in your brain that's called dopamine. And this chemical is designed to give you like a high every time that you accomplish something. And so it affects the brain very similarly to things, to drugs like cocaine and methamphetamine. It's so addictive. And so when I would play this really hard video game and I'd finally beat a level, I'd get my fix of dopamine. I wasn't like a really great student. I wasn't really in any other organizations. I wasn't, to be honest with you, I wasn't good at a lot of stuff. I was good at seemingly one thing and it was video games. And so I keep going back to that and I keep getting this dopamine in my brain and so after long enough, I've figured out, like, this is actually an addiction. It took me doing, actually, a Cornerstone paper, writing about the benefits of video games to realize that I had a real issue. Like, I was trying to lie to myself at the point that I had to justify it. And to prove to you how bad it actually got, I would stay up until, like, midnight playing video games. And a lot of you are like, midnight. <laughs> like, I do that all the time. Well, my small group guys don't call me a boomer for no reason. <laughs> I go to bed at like 9 p.m. most nights, so midnight to me is like an all-nighter, guys. <laughs> it's like really bad. I would skip classes really often. I would do pretty much whatever it took to get more video games into my schedule. So how did I overcome this addiction? Well, first of all, I had to let somebody know. I distinctly remember calling Daniel Quimby one day after I actually did go to class that day, okay? But I called him after class because I was like, I'm pretty much shaking because I'm not like playing video games right now. And I was like, this is crap, this is bad. This is super bad. And I was nearly in tears when I called him and he answered. And he was thinking that I had like slept with a girl or like smoked weed or something. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I know. I was a mess, and like in a trembling voice, I was like, I think I'm addicted to video games. <laughs> and I told the same thing to my small group leaders, and the best thing is that they didn't react to it with this like, yeah, I know, I told you so, or any kind of anger. Like the attitude rather was fixed more on trying to help me find freedom from this addiction. They acted in compassion and they really wanted to see me 
loose these chains off of my life. And so once the winter break, winter break came around, I left all the video games at home and the rest of the year so I could focus on really getting clean from this addiction. And the first step of getting clean for me was that first confession. It took me swallowing my pride in order to tell the leader that I most looked up to in my life that I actually had issues. Just like in the verse of James, I confessed my sin to people so that I may be healed. The addiction didn't actually stop after that first confession. Uh, I actually like downloaded YouTube onto my phone, and I would pretty much replace all those hours that I spent playing video games watching people play video games. Because again, that's another way that you can get that dopamine release into your brain. So I would, I would stumble, and I would do things that like don't sound inherently bad, but it kept feeding this addiction that I had. And so the beautiful part about this is that I had this community around me, a support system that would really hold me accountable to do the things that I said I wanted to do. I wanted to get over this addiction, so every time that I would turn left or right and stray off this path of healing, they'd be able to push me back, subtly just nudge me right back onto this path towards Jesus. And so, after probably a couple of years, I did find freedom from this addiction. So praise Jesus, you know what I mean? And you may be able, or you may feel like there's a temptation on your life sometimes to put this facade on because the world is watching. But inside of this community, you can always be real with each other. If we commit to being a judgment-free space, we can find freedom from these deep-rooted issues in our lives. And once the people in our lives, in my life, knew about my issue, they were able to partner alongside with me with Jesus, invite Jesus into these problems through prayer together. And so that leads me into the second point tonight. In order to be in real community, we have to really fully love each other. James doesn't just leave it up to the community to solve every single one of our problems. More importantly, he commands us to pray for each other. And once we know that a brother or sister is struggling with something, it's time to show them love in prayer. God wants to reach into the weeds and pull us out and bring us home. And if you're looking for a step-by-step guide on how to be a good community member, well, here it is. First of all, be vulnerable with each other. Second of all, seek Jesus through prayer. And third, pray for people when you're with them. Do this to show them that you actually care about them. If you just like throw in a group chat, hey, I'm praying, like you can pretty easily just forget about it. Like sometimes you'll just forget to pray for them. But when you're with them and you pray for them and they see that compassion in your eyes, there's, it's beyond a doubt that somebody loves them. And you can be that somebody. So you see, prayer really draws people closer together. I challenge you to pray with your friends in small groups every day because I would be willing to bet that the more you pray for them, the more fond you become of them. And this keeps growing until the desire that you have to be around them gets bigger and bigger, and eventually you want to spend all of your time with those people. There's something different about a group of people that lives fully in love and in full unity as well. And last week in small groups, we actually discussed 
Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, but if we take a look at it, it shows us that unity can only come through prayer. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. To the prayers. The prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. So there's prayer and unity. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So you see, prayer really does bring total unity to a community as they spend time together. It's important to know that you have somebody in your corner. Like, yeah, Jesus is always going to be there with you. I'm so thankful that he's always there with me. But sometimes I need somebody on earth to show me that they love me. You know, in the case of the body of Christ, which is us, the church, our value is almost always greater than the sum of our parts. So as we spend more time together, we can accomplish far more for the kingdom of God together than we can on our own. That's why we need community. What we have to avoid then, because you're going to be spent, well, hopefully after tonight, you're going to spend all of your time with the people in your small group. Every waking second, you're going to spend time with them. When you're sleeping, no, just kidding. Um, but there comes, dis- there comes conflict and disunity as people spend more and more time together. And it, honestly, conflict becomes unavoidable when you spend enough time with somebody. Conflict can easily become unhealthy if it goes unaddressed or if it gets addressed in the wrong way. There was a time in my life when I would actively avoid conflict at all costs in order to preserve the unity of the group. But it's not worth it. It's not worth it to avoid things because it brings even more conflict in. And if you fully know somebody, you may have the temptation uh, to get really annoyed with them and kind of like think bad thoughts about them. It's like, no, that's when that person needs prayer most of all, when you get really annoyed with them. As we become a real community with each other, there are going to be things about those people that like keep annoying you. And then you're like, like, if you've ever seen a movie that you've seen a bunch of times over and over, you can basically say the words along with a movie. You can do that like with people too. You can learn their behaviors and be like, I knew you were going to do that. And it's like, almost like we get this, this unrighteous amount of satisfaction from knowing that somebody's going to do something that annoys us sometimes. So how are we supposed to resolve that? How can we be real with people and love them at the same time? And the simple remedy is through prayer. Prayer helps us to see why people, or to see God, or see people, sorry, see people the way that God sees them. And we start to love them more and more as we pray for them more and more. We need to be asking God to bless them. We need to pray for our hearts towards them. And we need to be praying that God would empower us to be patient with them. There was one time when my wife Casey and I were dating. Hey, honey. Uh, And we were both really stressed out about finances. And we were sitting in this car really late at night in the church parking lot. Um, and we we're praying together over finances. And sometimes, 
you want to live like a really pure relationship, uh, if that's your plan with your spouse or like your, your girlfriend or boyfriend, probably don't pray alone together with them late at night. Because of this reason that prayer is so effective at drawing people close together. So we both prayed and we cried and we felt really spiritually close because of those things. And if we're talking to God on someone else's behalf, it's going to draw you closer to them. So as Casey and I sought Jesus more in that car, we drew closer faster than we thought we would. And there are times when Casey can really annoy me. I'm just going to say that straight up. Um, when she tries to talk to me when I'm like falling asleep at night, I'm like, ugh. <laughs> like, please don't. <laughs> or there are times she like tries to make me put things on my calendar. And, you know, like, these things are really goofy, but there are other things that, like, she can do that really kind of get on my nerves sometimes. But those are the moments. So, yeah, you can laugh about it. It's cool. It's awkward. Uh, they're, they're in those moments when she really gets on my nerves, though, we need to be praying together. I need to be asking God for his heart towards her. I need to be closer to my wife, and I need to be closer to my community. And the best way to do that is through prayer for each other. And the truth is, if somebody doesn't annoy you, you're probably not spending enough time around them. Can I get a few more amens? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, And there's nothing that the devil can do to a community that is praying for each other and seeking restoration and brokenness. But when we allow our hearts to harden towards each other, We can feed that fire inside of us that constantly wants to be annoyed at that person. You know, that's the time when they need that prayer most from us is when our hearts really just like want to be annoyed at them. You know, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but I'll admit that I'm not perfect and I get that sometimes. You know, we need to be people who are willing to Resolve conflict openly and gently with each other so that God can really bless his church here. We should be people who are willing to have those hard conversations and get into some healthy conflict. When any kind of conflict happens, eventually feelings will get hurt. That's when you have to choose to be real with people and tell them that you're hurting or that they've hurt your feelings. You know, there's not a whole lot more awkward situations that will happen to you until you're like, hey, you really hurt my feelings. Maybe you should say it a little bit more gently than that, but sometimes it just comes out my mouth like that. Um, But we have to be close enough to each other and love each other enough that conflict doesn't ruin our friendships. Jesus has to be the center of everything that we do. And in that way, what will help us do that is by having real devotion by being in real community and having real responsibility. These are the pillars of Chi Alpha, and we'll dive more into real responsibility in a couple of weeks. If you don't remember, the main idea for tonight is, in order to be in real community, we have to fully know each other and still truly love one another. The hard part about being in a community is that people are imperfect due to their sin. No one has ever lived a perfect life except for Jesus, despite what their Instagram highlights suggest. And you're going to get hurt by those whom you love. It's just unavoidable. 
And Satan will do whatever he can to bring division among us. And we, he will use these imperfections to drive wedges between even the best of friends. That's how marriages get broken up. That's how you and your best friend in middle school probably got split up. It's because Satan hates unity, especially inside of the church. But that's a beautiful thing about walking with Jesus. He gives us grace for our missteps. And just like he gives us grace, we have to be the ones that give grace to those around us and forgive each other when we misstep across each other. So when you fully know the deepest parts of somebody's heart, you see the good, you see the bad, and you see the really ugly. You might be a person who is hiding a secret that you've never told anyone, or you've only ever like, told one person and you're expecting them to hide it from the world with all that they have. I think for those of you who haven't been vulnerable yet, it's time to start. There's nothing to be afraid of inside of this community. And everyone has their own flaws and as you start to open up to your peers and confess your sins to them, they'll have the chance to help you find healing and restoration through the prayers. And if Jesus has forgiven us, how could we ever withhold that love from someone else? If Jesus died on the cross so that we could be with him, why would we isolate ourselves from the community that wants to push us closer to him? If you'll stand with me. Let's be a real community that with each other is committed to loving every member as ourselves. Let's be people who reach out in our moments of need so that we don't rob each other of the opportunity to bless each other. And finally, let's be people who stop at nothing to love each other and push each other in every opportunity we get. If we look back in Acts chapter 2, the people after whom we model our lives in the early church knew that there was something different about a group of people who lived inside of community. They knew that Jesus was more available to the community as a whole than he would be to the individual because they would push each other closer to him. They would be able to see each other in the deepest parts, the hardest times of their lives. They'd be able to push each other closer to Jesus himself. So some of you might be in the hardest season of your life right now. You might be a freshman that's away from your parents, away from the biggest support system you've ever had. And we're in the middle of a global pandemic. And the future could be looking really dull for you. But God himself did not come to the earth, live the perfect life, and get up on that cross for nothing. He saw you in the moment when you were hurting worst. And he still deemed it appropriate to get up on that cross and die for you. You know, not only that, but he, he rose from the dead and defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave just to spend eternity with you and me living inside of real community. He saw the entirety of sin on earth and still thought it was worth it to take your place and my place so that we could all have this chance, excuse me, chance to be together. And all it takes is a simple action for you to put your faith in Jesus tonight. All it takes is you admit with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm going to give two ways to respond tonight. The 
first of which to those who don't know Jesus yet. If you're somebody that doesn't have a community of believers who fully know you, fully love you, you belong here. Jesus died so that you could have that. Tonight, if you want to put your faith in Jesus and you want to become a member of this family, raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. we thank you so much for the chance we get to live inside of real community, Lord. Jesus, we pray for the people who want to put their faith in you tonight, Lord, that you would help us to understand what the gospel-centered life really looks like, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for coming to earth, living the perfect life, getting up on that cross and dying in our place and then getting raised from the dead just so that you could see us spend eternity with you inside of community. The next response, for those of you who already have a relationship with Jesus, but you might not feel like you have a strong enough sense of community here to call this, this group of people a real community. If you want to make a commitment to each other that you want to fully know and fully love each other and commit to seeing through the flaws in everyone's life, then raise your hand right now. Thank you, Jesus, for this chance that we get to fully love and fully know and fully be the real community in each other's lives, Lord. We love you so much.